This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Huddersfield's German defender Christopher Schindler has unbearable responsibility on his shoulders. Right for it, Schindler! Yes. Scores the goal! That fires Huddersfield to wow, wow, wow. Into the Premier League. Well, I saw about Carlin Grant's touch, then his touch, his turn, that little bit of pace to get away from the defender. Get up. Another piece of injury with Dublin from Carlin Grant. Never in doubt. Side foot, thank you very much. Back of the net. Let's hope it's the winning goal. Please be the winning goal. You cannot allow Carlin Grant to come back on his right foot on that side of the 18-yard box. There's only one thing that happens. And I'd like to say, I think that's the three points. Okay, so as, as usual, this episode is sponsored by Magic Rock Brewing. Uh, sadly, at the moment, Magic Rock is closed due to the uh, coronavirus outbreak, but the Welcome Centre, who are very close to uh, what Magic Rock do, are still open, and uh, if you've got a little bit of spare money h- hanging around at the minute, they uh, are taking a couple of donations for people who are struggling at the moment. So uh, have a check of uh, the HTSA uh, website and social media, uh, as well as the Cowshed Loyal, and uh, if you can help out, that would be fantastic and uh, and hopefully we come out of this uh, quite soon all right welcome to another special lockdown episode of the andy takes that chance podcast uh, this week we've got a goalkeeping special i'm your custodian matt shaw and with me today i've got a safe pair of hands in richard cozy Kuzmala, as well as good <laughs> distribution from the back by brady frost and simon copeland uh, joining us today dominating his box on zoom is former huddersfield town goalkeeper and current bbc radio leads match summarizer matt glennon good evening how are you doing, Matt? How are you coping then with uh, lockdown? Obviously, everybody is very different, but how are you finding the, the current situation? Uh, a bit mixed, really, for me. Obviously, I've gone from uh, my hairdressing salon and to the BBC, to my show on a Monday night, to my goalkeeping academy, to, to match days, to absolutely nothing. So it was a bit, a bit strange at first from going from 50, 60, 70 hours to, to nothing. 
but I'm getting some good quality time with my girls, getting plenty of cooking done, getting out with the dogs, getting some fitness in there. Uh, so, yeah, the sun's shining. The grass has been cut on more times already this year than it has done for the last three. So I'm, ju- I'm just getting on with it, doing what I'm told, staying at home, staying safe like you're supposed to be doing. It's not easy at times because you, you want to go out, you want to speak to people, you want to do things, but you just got to do what the, what the experts tell you, which is basically stay at home. Absolutely. So thank you for, for giving up your time and joining us today. I know you've, you've obviously still busy despite being at home. So uh, what I thought would be quite fun is if we have like a, a walk through your your career and how you got to Huddersfield and a little bit after, uh, and then we'll move on and, uh, and chat about more recent, recent things and, uh, and football today as well. So, uh, I saw on, on Twitter a couple of days ago, uh, similar to me, you grew up with a, a fondness for Peter Shilton. Um, yes, yes. growing up, was he your, your, he was actually, I think I'm, I'm two or three years younger than you, but he was my main inspiration growing up as well as Steve Hardwick who played for Huddersfield at the time when it was my first Huddersfield goalkeeper. Uh, but he was one of my favorites growing up and uh, was he your main inspiration? Uh, and did he so as a, as a young goalkeeper and he, was he one of the reasons why uh, you wanted to stand between the sticks instead of fire the ball in? Uh, yeah, he was. Well, one of the main reasons was I don't like heading it and I don't like running. So uh, going in goal was, was quite an easy decision for me. Uh, yeah. He was obviously playing for England at the time. I had the yellow goalkeeper, jersey that he wore in uh, Italian 90 and also then another Peter Peter Schmeichel was just coming uh, coming into the fold as well and it was just uh, an accumulation of lots of goalkeepers Keith Brannigan at Bolton I was only a young lad then yeah. when he was there as well and uh, local football you know, I mean Stockport Stockport County uh, and Paul Cooper he played for Stockport a little bit he's a, a real blast from the past he was actually in Peter Shilton's book uh, there was there was numerous ones around at the time, and even my Sunday League goalkeepers, you know, I mean, I was good friends with with, me, with the lads on uh, Aswood United in Stockport, where I'm from, and it, it just built from there. And unlike any sportsman, really, when you're good at something, you, you stick with it. And I was all right in goal; it didn't fly past me too much, so I stayed there. And you got picked up, didn't you, by Bolton quite quite quickly? Was that I think sort of going back to to then, it probably wasn't quite the academy football that we know today. But was it when a, a case of you get picked up at around about 14 years old and and then you'd be you'd be in the system. No, it was a bit earlier than that. I was at, I was at Blackburn first for a little bit uh, when I was about 12, 13, but it was a long way, long way from Stockport for my dad to take me on a, a Monday night for training and things like that. So, and then Bolton saw me uh, playing for a team called Cheadle Town, actually, at the time, and it was an adults team. I think I was only like 12, 13 playing for them because uh, I was uh, quite a tall lad then. They come down, again, it was still a good hour away in the car, uh, as you said, not the same kind of academy at all. I sometimes would get the train there myself, get home at 11 o'clock at night, 13 years of age. So you get a bus, a train, then get picked up, get your expenses, a few quid, and train, then you, you play your games on a weekend. It was, uh, yeah, it wasn't quite as formal as it was. And then I could also play for my Sunday league team, play for my school, play for representative team, Great Manchester. It wasn't there. You play for Bolton and that's it. You're not playing any football for anyone else. Well, I, I played upwards of five, six games a week. That's that's very different to, to obviously today where you get sort of locked down almost, don't you, in, in terms of the yeah. academy. Um, when, when you joined Bolton, you um, I'm sort of looking at the early part of your career there and you've, you've played really for two interesting managers really early on. I, I would imagine you would you would have learned a lot from and one of them, Sam Allardyce, you know, at Bolton, sort of maybe latterly there, and yeah. and Ian Holloway at Lone Spell at Bristol. What what were they like? I can imagine there's a couple of different yeah. different characters there. And there's a there's a good story of Sam Allardyce uh, at Huddersfield as well. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sam, Sam was brilliant. I was with Sam for quite a bit, to be fair. He kept sending me on loan and then he sold me. Uh, but he, I had a really good relationship with him. Uh, apart from the small, small spell where he banned me from the club for about three months when I was on loan at Carlisle. Because uh, I wouldn't sign for Ian Holloway at uh, Bristol Rovers. When I was great, training was good. It was thorough. You enjoyed it. You knew where you stood with him. He didn't like you. You knew he didn't like you. He didn't make any secret of it. He didn't talk behind your back. None of the stuff that uh, happens a lot more these days. He, he, he was very, very straight with you. And then Ian Holloway, brilliant. I just went there, but I was only there for a couple of weeks. I got a phone call on a Friday, Friday morning. Uh, the goalkeeper's injured. He's going to make your league debut for Bristol Rovers versus Wigan. Got the train down there. Got 11 o'clock at night. Played the game. Nil-nil. Man of the match against Wigan. And then didn't play the next game. He had a lad on loan from Man United who had to play. It was in his contract. So I just, I just got called straight back to Bolton and and that was it, to be fair. It was a short spell within Holloway. And then on to Hull as well. I think Hull's where, where you met your wife, is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, um, so probably some good memories from over over in Hull, I would guess. Well, yeah, you have to say that. Obviously, that's where <laughs> I, met the, I, met, I met the wife. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it was. I got sold. I got sold to Hull. Uh, I was in a bit of a, a tricky a tricky place at the time there and uh, away from football. Things weren't going fantastically well. I got the move there living in a hotel uh, with a group of lads. It was fun. Got injured quite quickly, though, put way too much weight on uh, as a 21-year-old boy and uh, ended up moving on from there. But, yeah, it was a good set of lads. Brian Little was fantastic. Brian Little, one of the nicest men in football, great fella to play football for. It just I got injured at the wrong time in my personal life and professional life, and it was a, a, short, a short spell at Hull, really, and when Jan Mulby came in. Uh, we clashed a couple of times, let's put it that way. And you, you've ended up at Carlisle, and this is probably where most people will have started to have seen you, I would guess. You, you know, at Carlisle, you've you played in the Football League trophy final, which I think was at Cardiff, wasn't it? Not not quite Wembley. Um, yeah. That must have been a great experience, to be fair, playing what I would imagine, it was against Bristol, so I would imagine there'd been quite a large contingent from Bristol, wouldn't they? Um, yeah, so it, it must have been a really good, uh, really good uh, part of your career. It was. Well, I'd, I'd been on Carlisle on loan uh, while I was still at Bolton. I'd gone on loan there for uh, quite a few days. It was in the Michael Knighton days. And Michael Knighton, as everyone knows, isn't there? I mean, the straightest of people when it comes to comes to football. It was an interesting an interesting club at the time. Uh, and then went off to Hull, came back to Carlisle a little heavier than when I left the first time. That's uh, That way, uh, and yeah, really enjoyed it. Roddy Collins there, the Steve Collins, the boxer's brother, absolute a great fellow but yeah not not the full ticket let, let's put it that way he was he was just in the middle of building his boxing ring to fight me in just before he got sacked so oh, even though he wanted to get sacked I'm quite glad he did because That's I would uh, this, this nose which I managed to keep straight in 22 years of football I don't think it would be uh, from then on but yeah it was Millennium uh, Millennium Stadium as you say I think there was about 40 or 50,000 there there was I think Carl took 13, 14,000 well, my first goal should have been born, I think, six days before that as well. So I'd, I'd played a game, gone back to Carlisle. Everyone had gone down to Millennium. I'd gone back to Carlisle, then drove down to Millennium and say she was six days old, played the game, then back up there. But yeah, it was a, a great experience. We didn't win the game, didn't have masses to do, to be fair. And all honesty, the pitch wasn't fantastic either. I think someone forgot to uh, chuck the lawnmower over it the, the day before, but it was a, a great experience. I'd imagine, and, and I think at Carlisle's probably the first time you maybe played. Was that maybe the first time you played against Huddersfield? I remember one game where you, you came to um, 
what was pro- probably the Gulf Farm Stadium back then, and you played uh, for Carlisle. I think it was in League Two. I'm just wondering if you remember the triple save that you made from Andy Booth that day. I always re- that was that when you signed for Huddersfield. That the first thing I remember was, oh, that's that guy that made that triple save from Andy Booth, where it kind of like it was about two yards out, wasn't he? And I'd imagine you gave him some stick over that. Well, yeah. Well, I still speak to Booth a lot now. I, I did a night with him a, a few weeks ago, raising money for the pedal for pounds. I do remember it, yeah. I think it was something like 19 saves in the first half. Andy Olds was even shooting from right back. Everyone was having a go. Uh, yeah, it was. that was the game that got me to Huddersfield, maybe a year later. But uh, <clears throat> Boothy tries to credit himself for getting me to Huddersfield because he said to Jacko, oh, why don't we get that, get that keeper who made that triple save? I think that was more to do with the fact of saying his, wasn't, his whistles weren't that bad. I was doing quite good. I think that's what he was, uh, that's what he was trying to imply. But yeah, I've got a little bit to thank Boothie for, but I don't like to give him too much credit. Uh, I remember the game very, very well. I think we could we nearly nicked a 2-1, if I remember rightly. That would have been the biggest scandal in football. Yeah, it was a bit... Uh, it would have been, but you had a spell in Scotland first, didn't you? And, and you scored, yeah. scored for St. Johnston as well. I think there's a, a YouTube video somewhere, isn't there, where someone behind the goal, a little bit grainy, isn't it, on an old, like an old Nokia 8210. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you can kind of see... And I think it's a bit of a twist in the box, isn't it? And then and he's kind of rifle it in from... from well, if, not, if you've not seen it, it's a 25-yard screamer into the top corner. If you've seen it, it's about eight yards out. Jason Scotland ducks for some strange reason, lands on the thigh and flies in. And Yeah, it was a, it was a, a very a strange one, but Scotland was brilliant, but only for a year. I couldn't stay there any longer than that. It was too cold, and in all honesty, you didn't get as paid as much as you did in England either. But it was great to go and play Celtic and Rangers and Hearts and Hibs and... It was before the, the real big crash of 2008 as well, so clubs still had money up there because uh, there was a lot of foreign, foreign investment and everything in the Scottish Premier League at the time and there was full stadiums and it was just fantastic to play in those big, big games. But as I say, a year, a year was enough. It took my lawnmower with me to the rented house that I, I went to. Absolute waste of time because I never saw the garden. What would, you, what would you prefer then, Celtic Park or Ibrox? I've got a cousin who supports Rangers, so... Ibrox all day. Ibrox all day. I want to win that then. Yeah. We were one nil up for 51 minutes against Celtic. You could hear a pin drop. And then an old mate of mine, Alan Thompson from Bolton, came on, stuck to in the top corner, the place erupted. But at Ibrox, from the minute you drive up to the minute you're warming up to half time to after the game, they just never, ever stop. And the hairs on your back of your neck, you know what I mean? Just never, never go down until you leave the stadium. Yeah, it's a great, great old ground, isn't it? And and this, this, this is then that the move to Huddersfield comes about, so we can get on to um, get on to Huddersfield Town. You, you took the number twenty-seven as well, so just yeah. just let us know how um, how it came about that you signed for it. Obviously, you, you made the triple save from from Boothie, which uh, you know Boothie had a couple of one-twos there, didn't he? Uh, and then uh, you, you've come, you've taken twenty-seven, which is obviously something which has stuck with you. Is what's the reasoning behind twenty-seven, and how did you uh, how did you get to Huddersfield? Uh. So the 27 has obviously my shops and everything now. Academy's G27. It's a number I've just liked. Uh, I had it early on when in the loft going through your old shirts. I actually found a Bolton shirt from when I was 18 with 27 on the back. And that's not when I'd originally thought about taking it. Uh, it was just a number I liked. I had a, a good bit of luck at Carlisle with the 27 on my back. Again, in Scotland, I, I had the 27. And when I came down, I said to Jacko, oh, do you mind if I have this number? Paul Hook wasn't totally sure about that because he got the number one and obviously thought that he might have been starting the season I knew I was starting the season so it did cause a little bit of confusion me choosing that uh, choosing that number but it's just something that I've ran with and I say now I actually have it on my business premises as well 
and the actual move to uh, to Huddersfield from Scotland. I say I think Jacker would had his eye on me a little bit before then because of that game, and I had quite a decent season for Carlisle that year because well we were, we were shy, so I had a lot, I had a lot, of, I had a lot, I had a lot of work to do. So it does highlight the goalkeeper quite a lot when you're not the best team in the world. Uh, so. He'd got in contact with my agent, a uh, fantastic fella who's unfortunately passed now. Uh, and it just went from there. And I went to see him, went and got married, went on my honeymoon, come back, signed. And then, uh, as I said, the rest was rest is history. And two and, a, two and a, a third great years there. I don't mention the, the rest of it. I've got to say, the, the, the one thing that probably stands out from that first season is the triple penalty or three penalty saves in, in one game. I think it was against crew and then we still ended up losing. Yeah. <laughs> ended up losing two, one, you save three penalties. You must've come off that game and just had a look around and thought, come on guys, I've, I've saved three penalties here and we've, we've still managed to lose the game. Yeah. Well, hopefully he's not, hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but when Frank Sinclair signed for the, the club, I knew he was going to stick one or two goals past me. You know what I mean? He, whenever you see the own goals records, you always see Frank there, Richard Dunn. His Frank, is on the DVD, Frank Sinclair, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, he's on the, always on the DVD. And say, so he gave one of the penalties away. Put his hands up. I remember him putting his hands up in the air. He say, I'm not in the area. He was about two foot in the area when he did it. And then he got a clip on their second goal as well to, to guide it past me. And yeah, it, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. But to say three penalties was... Was amazing. It just been nice. It would have meant a little bit more. That that was the season as well that Jacko ended up being sacked, didn't he? And what? How much of that was down to maybe sort of Terry Yorath leaving the coaching staff, and and was that kind of the big issue? And was Jacko maybe treated a little bit harshly by Ken Davy, or do you think it was maybe the right decision in hindsight? Oh no, no, it was a, a culmination of Taff leaving, but Jacko having no money. Mm. You know what I mean? You, th- you think about the, the squad back then. They're having to use young lads all the time, like mighty young, great, good, good young players, but they were never going to take us to the championship. They were 17, 18 years of age. They've not, not played any league football and they're getting thrown into the game. Joe, you know, Jamie, uh, Jamie, uh, McComb, he's gone now, Ben's gone. John not Jamie. Yeah, yeah, did. McComb comes in as well and they're just the young lads and they're getting thrust into a, a decent level of League One football and we were like, what, 9, 10th, 11, something like that. And they were never going to kick on. You didn't even get loan signings. You know what I mean? You couldn't even get anyone on loan because at the time they weren't paying agents either and things like that. So really, exactly the same as Andy Richard. I don't want to skip forward. We'll no, talk no. about it later. But exactly the same sort of thing. If you're not given the finances in a, a division where, you know I mean, people are spending a little bit of money, then you're always going to be lagging behind. Yeah, I remember th- players like Gary Hooper, Jason Scotland, all, I think, were all kind of like earmarked. But then... I remember yeah. hearing one story from about Ken Davy. who we had Tom Clark at the club and he was paid X amount. So he didn't see the point in giving someone Gary Hooper the same age, uh, the same money as, as Tom Clark. So I do remember money was, it was definitely tight, shall we say at, at that moment. And I think Ken Davy had expectations of playoffs as well. So uh, it, it did seem yeah. that the expectations and the investment didn't quite align there as well. But obviously Andy Ritchie's Falling the same way. Jerry Murphy's come in, hasn't he? And had a couple of spells there, and he, he seemed to be a bit of a calming influence. Did did Jerry Murphy as well? But well, they're all his young lads. Weren't they? they were all his. There were a lot of them were his players. They knew him. They've known him since they were 10, 11 years old. You know, the Olds, Nathan Clark, some people. So it was a familiar face for them. But it wasn't there like when Stan came in and Stan came and stamped his foot down, and he'd been given the remit, obviously, to shake things up a little bit, which he most definitely did uh, when he came in. But Andy Richie, again, Andy Richie did well. He, he kept in that mid to higher table a little bit and he got the 
obviously Chelsea in the FA Cup and, mm. and things like that. But again, just not that little injection that he needed just to take the club, you know, in that little bit further. Yeah. Matt, sorry, in, uh, in, in that sort of situation, uh, your role as a player, do you have opportunities to speak to Ken Davey or whoever the person may be and kind of understand the thinking there or is that kind of very much outside your remit? No, absolutely no chance. And you, you wouldn't anyway because... You, you, that's one way to get yourself out the door. Uh, you know, I mean, you could speak to Jacko. You could. Well, I did speak to Jacko because I was uh, not the most senior of players, but I was seen as a senior player because I've always looked forty years old. So everyone thought I was older than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we would have little chats and things like that. Plus, your agents would say, "Oh yeah, Matt, he was going to come, but they won't pay his fee, so he's not coming." Uh, and it was just just little conversations like that. Really, now you you wouldn't really go near any of the the directors or the the chairman's booth, he probably could because, you know what I mean, he's a, a legend at the club and he, he would, but he's not that kind of person anyway. So 2008-9, um, Dean Hoyle comes in and there must, have, there must have been kind of a sea change at that point because we've got Stan Turnant in and I'm sure you've got some good stories about Stan Turnant as well. And I did hear someone call him Stan Tyrant at one point. Uh, so you've got Stan coming in, you've got Dean Hoyle spending money. Uh, how did that feel? Because you were still very much part of the the team at that point. Uh, how how was that season? Understand it was a bit as a fan. It was a bit frustrating because we'd we brought in Gary Roberts, who was quality, you know, quality football, and we'd brought in Dickinson, Steve Jones, and all these different sort of players, and David Unsworth, Lachetti, and everything was kind of exciting. And it was the centenary year, all the season ticket sales. Uh, how was it for you playing in that side? And and there must have been some kind of a, maybe an increased pressure as well. Uh, no, there wasn't an increased pressure. Uh, it was just a, another manager coming again. We'd had a bit of a change with Jerry, with Andy, with Andy Ritchie, with Jacko, and it was a bit up and down. Stan came in. Stan wasn't the tyrant everyone thought he was. He'd obviously been told to mix things up. There's a lot of young lads in there, going there, ruffle a few feathers. Uh, Ronnie Jepson, the same. You know, I mean, Ronnie had obviously been told it because Ronnie was a bit uh, sour face as always. Ronnie isn't. Ronnie's a great fella. I speak to Ronnie now, so you know what I mean? He, he's he's brilliant. And they'd always been told, you know what I mean, go in there, toughen these lads up, which they didn't really need to. They just needed a bit more guidance, a bit more coaching, a bit more, a, a good a good way of playing, a real, you know what I mean, structure, how to, to get the best out of everyone. He came in a bit, you know what I mean, uh, it was a, uh, it was it was mad. You know I mean? it, it was a mad time. Pre-season, you start at 10, 10, 30, you finish at, 12.30, you have an, an hour and a half eat dinner, you go to the gym or you do a technical session. We were training at half ten. We were racing back stalls all, jokingly, to see how early we could get back to the changing room. I remember getting back to the changing room in pre-season before 11.30. It was it was mad. And I wonder why lads weren't fit enough and there was injuries getting picked up. Because we didn't, we didn't do enough training. We didn't do, we didn't do enough work. It was, uh, it was a really, really crazy time. Matt, what were Andy? Uh, what were Andy Ritchie like as a as a manager? I always felt as a fan, he, he would never. Ins- he looked like a guy, uninspirational character. You know, I know that's what he was, a good footballer. But at that time, mate, if I'd have been going to work for someone like Andy Ritchie, unless as you tell me differently, just you know, motivation. I don't think I could get motivated by him, and I think the team kind of played like that. Oh no, you would, you would. Uh, he's one of those characters that you know when you you wear like people talk about Alan Shearer and they say, oh. He's, he looks like that quiet, serious face, but then you actually, you, you get to him away from football. Like I've got friends who play for Newcastle and he's the life and soul of the party. He organised everything. He's a jokester. When in front of the camera, you think, bloody hell, you know what I mean? You could talk last night to sleep. Whereas, you know, Andy Ritchie, it was great. Training was lively. It was sharp. 
He joined in training as well. He'd listen to the players. He'd talk to players as human beings as well. And then he'd have a go when he needed to. But it also, it also, you know what I mean? When he was having a go at you, there was always a, a medium behind what he was saying. He didn't just rap and rave and scream. He always had a, a, a reason for why it'd be it's uh, maybe a strip off you or something like that. And no, he was he was he was good. He was good value for money. And he, but again, he was someone who didn't have the the finances to to get the players and take the club forward. So he was he was always banging his head against the brick wall. It's interesting that because I, I from my point of view as well with Cosy, I think in his interviews afterwards he would always come across as quite dour, but. I remember watching a, a crossbar challenge on Soccer AM and he was right in there with the lads, you know, yeah, sort of yeah. life and well, soul. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. He joined in training. You know I mean? He still knew where the back of the goal was yeah. as well. Uh, I was actually due to play a game with him before all this kicked off at Emily with Man United Legends. So he still he still smacks them all around now. He was, uh, no, he was, great, to, he was great to get on with, and but you, you didn't know where the line was with him as well. He did have that. You know what I mean? He, he could be authoritative if he needed to be. I don't know if Cosy wants to tell us about his uh, his favourite game, which was a four-one defeat at Peterborough. Where things didn't <laughs> I'll tell you that if you want. <laughs> no, but I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. I remember though. To be fair, Andy Ritchie obviously had that great cup run, probably the, you know the highlight of his career there. And uh, remember Luke Beckett, uh, the swan song of his uh, career. But he would back. He would a player. I don't know what he trained like, Matt, but he looked like a guy that just kind of old school, kind of Steve Claridge kind of footballer. But he knew how to score on that run. It was fantastic, and even at Stamford Bridge that day, we uh, we dreamed for a little bit, didn't we? We did. Well, he scored in every round up until uh, Chelsea, and he's obviously the goal at Oldham and scoring Birmingham. He was, he, Luke was my roommate as well, and he was. He was like some geezer. Thought, oh yeah, he, he's just down the pub having a few bitters, but uh, he, he didn't know where the goal was. I think he had a, a one in two ratio when he came to came to Huddersfield, and that was after having a major injury as well. I think he had a full cruciate. Uh, knee ligament reconstruction or something like that as well, uh, obviously which took away whatever pace he had uh, had gone before he came to Huddersfield. But he knew he knew how to score goals. He had he had this whip where he just whipped the ball into the back of the net. He just couldn't get anywhere near it. He was he was a he was a good striker, Luke. I thought so. Um, so I think at this point, Matt, you probably want to take a sip of a, a GNT if that's what you've got there, because the the next man that comes in. I think we'll sit back and, and let you tell us about uh, probably not your favourite manager at Huddersfield Town in, in Lee Clark. No, he wasn't, no. Uh, uh, when he first came in, it was fine, obviously, because I'd played for two and a half years consistently. I'd only missed the Leeds game. And then uh, Jerry decided to rest me before the before one of the games, and it was the game before Lee Clark came in, so obviously I lost my place. Uh, but Lee Clark must have done a bit of homework, and he pulled me in and said, Matt, I realise you've been playing. You know what I mean? Consistently for two and a half years. We just beat Leeds at Ellen Road. We just beat Brighton away 1-0. I saved a penalty in that as well. And uh, it was, although not sensational, we were starting to pick up and we'd beaten some decent teams. And then I wasn't playing. Obviously, Alex had come in and they'd won the game, so it's fair enough. You, you keep your place, which I'd, I'd expect. But then Lee Clark just, I don't know. Uh, I don't go too far with it, but... he. He wasn't always honest with everything that, uh, you know what I mean, was was going on behind the scenes and everything. Obviously, I wasn't playing, didn't play for a while. I had my knee surgery. Uh, he said that I could go out on loan. I came in the next day and he sent Eastie out on loan, so I couldn't go out on loan. So it was like, right, I sat there watching. And then uh, there was a few other opportunities as well, which didn't which didn't arise because I wasn't told about them, even though I got told about them afterwards, after the transfer window shut. And so, no, I was not. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win... Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Impressed, but when you're not playing football, you're never going to be impressed anyway. You, if you're not playing on a match day, that was all I ever wanted to do was play. You know, I mean, we sat the afternoons and, and, and that was it. And I, that was taken away from me for longer than it should have been taken away. And then I had good opportunities to leave. People stood in my way and... Yeah, I'm never going to have many great words to say about him in all in all honesty because it it was a real downturn in my in my career and you know I mean on the pitch and off the pitch as well. So yeah, it's not great. but I will say though I will say training was excellent. Derek Fazakli was fantastic. Blackie was fantastic. You know what I mean? And Lee could put a good session on. You know what I mean? Fridays would have this game where you you, you got you took your name and you had different teams and you got money at the end of the month if you. One who's on like fibres and envelopes and stuff like that. So training was decent, but I was just, you know, I mean, looking to volume as many times as I could during training because that's the frustration I was feeling at the time. Because again, I played over 600 games and I didn't start until I was 21 playing first team football, but I only wanted to play and to be stopped playing and to be lied to as well at, at times over things is uh, never pleasant. Well, some, um, some goalkeepers have made a career out of, I guess, being substitute goalkeepers if you like I'm thinking yeah. Stuart Taylor Richard Wright Lattley in his career uh-huh. um, I could say Joel Coleman at the moment who spent a number of years on the bench is that something that ever you ever considered or have you, you, the way you saw your career playing out or is that something you consciously wanted to try and avoid what to avoid avoid like the plague because I just I, I have to play on a weekend my, my personality doesn't allow me to sit and watch football uh, maybe if I got the opportunity maybe 37, 38 at a decent club might have thought of it, but in my mid twenties to mid thirties, no chance. What, what's the what's the point? It's all about making saves, keeping clean sheets, getting kicked in the face, as you can see, has happened a few times. You know what I mean? And is and you get that feeling. You set yourself. Uh, you know what I mean? You pull the old arm back there, and the old lazy boy. You've got a beer. You're watching. You know you've done a day's work. You know what I mean? Because you played your game. It's either you know what I mean. You you wanting to really hang yourself because it's been horrendous, or you wanting to celebrate because it's been great. And people say. You can keep a level. You, you can't keep a level in football. You're either high as a kite or low in the snake's belly, and and that's it. But that all those all those feelings together is what makes football fantastic. The same as fans. You know what it's like when you've seen an awful game and you've travelled miles, and you think, "What have I just spent that money doing that for?" And then when you get a last minute winner against Watford in the Premier League, and next thing everyone goes through the goes through the roof, and it's the best day of your life. Part of me would be quite happy with an awful game right now, Matt. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Cosy, were you going to fire in with something there? 
Yeah, we're just going to ask Matt, who was the goalkeeping coach at that time? Was it John Vaughan, you know, when he, when he was Lee Clark? Who was your goalkeeping coach? Yeah, he was, he was from when I from when I came in, I think. Uh, was he? Yeah, yeah, he was. But the best uh, goalkeeping coach you worked for, Matt, in, in any of your clubs? Uh, Fred Barber of Boltman was, was excellent. Uh, he was... He was the one who made me quite a strong character, let's put it that way, because... He I remember him at Walsall, Matt. He was uh, yeah. quite keeping this day in. Was he the yeah, one, he was, was he the one who played for Peterborough and used to come yeah. on with a mask? Yes, the old man mask. He was an absolute nutcase, yeah. <laughs> he, he would try and physically and mentally destroy me on a daily basis when I was at Bolton. But he was he was, he was was superb. Uh, yeah, Vaughan, he was a, a decent goalkeeper coach at Huddersfield as well. Uh, I've had some good ones. I've had some ones who just want to work and do nothing all day and I had ones that you could get talking so you did nothing all day as well. We had a fellow called Jim Blythe at Bolton and Keith Brannigan was superb at getting him talking. If he knew he got Jim talking about something, that the session was over. And I just stood there watching thinking, Branny's done it again. He's, done, he's, he's wasted another 25 minutes talking about absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, it, but it's, it is important as well to have a, a goalkeeper coach you get on with. Uh, Carl Lennigan at, at Halifax. You know what I mean? It took me a couple of weeks to mould him. You know what I mean? To get him to where I needed him to be. Uh, basically stopping me jumping all over the place in my mid-30s. But he was he was excellent as well because he listened to me. We talked about stuff. We went through stuff. And he was just a, a good sounding board as well. Uh, that's that's good. So one thing we asked, we had Ian Dunn on last week, and one thing we asked him was that you must have some uh, some good stories about the sort of nightlife around Huddersfield and the sort of social aspect and, you know, any sort of pre-season tour, you know, what stays on tour and et cetera. He must have some... Some pretty decent stories from there as well. Back in the day, I remember you being a bit of a fan of the Flying Circus in in Huddersfield as well, which was apparently one. Which of one the... was that? Oh gosh, where where is that now? That's on the is it Crosschurch Street? That one? I think I think it's a Lebanese bar or something now or something. I, I'm not from Huddersfield, so someone will have to help me out from from. It was Huddersfield. no, we used to go to. Is it uh, the one that's now near near the, around the corner from the casino? It's a gym now, I think. Uh, okay. Was it re re reef? No, what reef? I don't know what it's called. Uh, there was one round, one round there, and when we played a Tuesday night game, we'd sometimes go in there uh, for a late one. But it was filled, not, 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 not massively, not massively. We do again now and again. We go out, and it was more of a daytime thing. We'd organise something. We'd all go just start drinking at two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, and then I sit. We'd just hide somewhere in a bar and everything. It was like Chris Lagetti and all that stuff, and we just sit there play drinking games and. Yeah, you could get away with it a little bit more then. You ain't getting away with it. You ain't getting away with it now. You ain't seen Huddersfield's first team sitting in the Aspley uh, with loads of bottles of wine playing drinking games and <laughs> with bunny ears and everything else going on and all this sort of stuff. But it was, uh, we, had some, we had some fun times. Ibiza was one of the best ones because when my, it was the second year they'd gone when I signed, we went, we went over there and I always remember Jacko looking at me and just saying to me, what are you doing? Now, at the time, I was on a lilo eating a mint chop chip ice cream in the middle of the pool. And this is pre-season training. And I'm thinking, well, we finished training now, we're working, and that's it. I've got my airy chest out and everything. I, just, I was just missing a medallion at the time in the middle of a booth there. And, and that was, it was great. And they let us out one night. We had to go back for 12. So I, we got back at 12. I made sure everyone got back at 12. Because if you didn't go back at 12, we weren't going out on the final night. So we got back at 12. Next thing, Jacko's having his cheeky little uh, fag on the, on, the, on the balcony, it must have been two, three in the morning, and these two players who decided not to come back that night, and he stood there watching these two clowns trying to climb up balconies to get into the room so nobody sees them. 
And in the morning, Taff had seen Taff had seen him as well. We had to go to the football pitch where we were training and playing. We had to do every line of the pitch and back. I think it was four times in the heat in Ibiza in July. And it was, oh, it was horrendous. I could have killed them, both of them. I'm not going to name them. I think you should. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to name Brando. No, I would never. I would never do that. The other one I can't because he's still associated. So I'm not. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to name him. We'll but yeah, the, the, it then. So we'll, uh, we'll move. Oh, on. Oh, I think we all know it wasn't Booby. <laughs> so better chocolate. Uh, yeah. So um. So on on leaving Huddersfield, um. Sadly, I don't know what you did in a previous life, uh, but you know you you were forced to go to Bradford City, unfortunately, oh. and. Uh, so you've got my our sympathies, I think, for for that one, Matt. So uh, I don't think you had a great time there, though, did you? No, it was it was awful because we had uh, Stuart McCall uh, sign me, and Stuart's a a lovely, a lovely fella, you know what I mean. And then a week later, he left, and that's it. He'd had some wrangling in the boardroom or something like that. I was like, well, what's going on here? And then the ultimate goalkeeper hater, Peter Taylor, turns up, <laughs> and it's like, oh no, and like, because I'd had him a little bit at Hull and. Paul Musselwhite, a good friend of mine who played for Scunthorpe, played for Portland, a lot of games. The nicest, most placid goalkeeper the world's ever known. Even he called Peter Taylor a certain word to his face as well. And when when Muzzy starts hammering people, then you, you know they're not goalkeeper-friendly people. And he turned up and I just thought, oh, that's me done. And I played, I think I played 17 of the 19 games I was there for. And he, he, he pulled me in the office and says, oh, we can't offer you the money you're at Huddersfield. I said, well, I can stop you there. So I'm not playing for you anyway. I said, I can't play for a man like you. And I, I'm, I, if you don't mind, I'm leaving. I'm not coming to the, the game tomorrow. And he said, all right, that's fine then. So I just left his office and, and went home. And that was I, it. No, it was, the sounds, pitch was amicable, does that? The training pitch was awful. It was. It, you had to go Ashley Bridge. Like, yeah. So you know I mean? you've got, got, got decent cars and stuff like that. We're not driving around in, in, in Del Boys, but he's three-wheeler. But you're having to drive in your kit. To ask me breaks 20 minutes, get covered in crap for an hour and a half, get back in your car, drive all the way back there, then the pitch on the max day, which it is still now, which is horrendous. And you just thought, well, what, what is this all about? Because obviously I've been at Huddersfield and enjoyed me, well, 80% of my time there. And then I was I was at Bradford and no, I didn't enjoy it at all. Matt, what were the, uh, the support like for them? 17 games, did you feel because you had the Huddersfield connection, you, were, you had to kind of fight twice as hard or were they kind of fair with you? No, because I, I never, I never got that too, too involved. Because he told the truth, because I was only there for a short time. Stuart McCall left. He was the big story because he, he'd gone. Uh, obviously, Lazarus has come back again. Uh, but it was, it's, it, it was, it was a stepping stone for me. Peter Jackson was supposed to get the job. That was the worst thing about that time, at Bradford. Jacker was supposed to be getting the job. He'd got the second interview. It was going through, and then Taylor walked through the door. I might, I might as well I just picked up my boots and my gloves and just walked out of that room right there and then it was uh, that was the most disappointing part of Bradford the fact Jacko didn't get the job he always comes across as a bit of a uh, watch my words he's uh, got man syndrome massively he was a little yeah. winger and he's a, he just he's one of them people he, he can make an atmosphere in, a, in an empty room thing is Matt when you watch him on telly mate he, he kind of talks to you like you don't no one's got a club about football he's the head teacher and yeah. obviously coach. I mean he had success obviously at Alden for a bit but he did and obviously got the England job for a bit and yeah. he, when he made Beckham the, the captain I think and that which he, he still dines out on. and to talk to him now and again he, he was fine but it just was an atmosphere where you're going into work and enjoying it and 
as I say, he, he did not like goalkeepers at all. Said it on the first day, jokingly to me, and I think it was Nigel Martin who was there because he was coaching us at the time, and uh, Johnny McLaughlin, who was at Sunderland now. He said, oh, I hate goalkeepers, and started laughing. And I thought, yeah, I know you do, you git. And yeah, and he showed us every single day that he did. You had a great spell at Halifax. Uh, you, you sort of helped Halifax move back up the leagues, I think, didn't you, under, under Neil Aspin? Um, I think this, not saying you're winding down your career as much, but you, you kind of, it seemed a bit of a drop, you know, sort of from, from where you were to go to Halifax because they were sort of down there. Is this is this about the time you then started to uh, change uh, your occupation a little bit? Because uh, there's not many footballers are going to hairdressing, is there? No, there's not, no. No, it's true. Uh, I'd, 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 I'd been beaten up a little bit over a couple of years, in all honesty, with uh, leaving Huddersfield, you know what I mean, was a real something I couldn't let go of. I still probably haven't, if I'm not, in all honesty, because I really enjoyed my time uh, at Huddersfield. I mean, my, my second daughter was born here. I still live here now. You know what I mean? I do my job that I do BBC-wise. but And so it, I, I struggled to get over that a little bit. Then I went back to my hometown club, uh, Stockport County, which was great under Paul Simpson, who had played at uh, Carlisle for. He lost his job. And then uh, Diddy Haman come in. He was fantastic. But then he decided, he, he left. And then an, an, another manager come in and you start, I'm, th- I'm in, what, 32, 33, 34 now. I've got a man who's trying to teach me how to line walls up and, and things like that. And uh, it was just like, I, I, I've, I've had enough. I'd already tra- I've already retrained as actually a barber when I was at Huddersfield Town. I did that just as I was leaving there. Sort of fast-tracked my way through that with the help of the PFA and my wife sorted that out for me and things like that. I found a, a training programme for me. And I just thought, you know I mean? It, before... I end up volleying a manager over a over a stand. It might be a good idea for me to start finding other ways of, of living my life. So I uh, I found a, a shop to sort of rent a chair in. Halifax came knocking. Uh, David Bosomworth, lovely fella, nightmare to deal with when it comes to money and contracts. I just thought, oh, I'm here again. Uh, but Halifax was the closest. It was a good club. David was great. Neil Aspin, I went to meet Neil. I never met Neil before. Now, I know Neil really well now. I've had him on my show. Uh, I speak to him a lot. He's, he's not one for footballers with little, let's say, little bellies. And that's it. And I was, lo- I was speaking to him in uh, the, the shape, and I could see him. He kept looking at my belly. I'd put a couple of pounds on, you know what I mean? Because the pre-season had been there. And I could see, I think, you'll look at my bleeding belly you are. And I, I, knew, he, I knew he was. Uh, but then I signed. It went really well. It took me five games to get my first clean sheet. But I got another 24 after that. We got promoted after a... I think 11 games in 22 two days or something like that. It was ridiculous. And then another couple of great years. Then unfortunately, say, Neil left. And then it was time for me to really start winding down and done because, say, I'd had, a, I'd had enough because I, I really enjoyed working with Neil. He sort of brought me back to, to life football-wise again. And uh, I enjoyed working for him. Matt, how, uh, how important is geography when you're kind of making those decisions? Presumably, you could have perhaps... Kind of travel the length and breadth of the country to try and stay maybe a higher division, gone back up to Scotland potentially. Um, geography play kind of an important kind of process in, in your decision making at that time. Yeah, well, huge. Even the year before, I got offered a, to go back up to St Johnston again, uh, playing the SPL again, and it just it just wasn't it wasn't the right time. That's actually when I was when I left Bradford, I think it was. They'd offered me really good contract, go there, but I wasn't moving my family again. I've got a family now. The girls have got school. I'm not spending the week away from them because for me, there's no point having a family if all you're going to do is spend all your time away from them. And I'm not travelling up and down the motorway uh, at all. And then the Halifax thing, when I decided to start business, it was 
the closest club with a decent crowd. It had to be a certain standard. I wasn't going to go and sign for a club who might pay me more money, but I'm playing on the field every week and I'm, play, I'm playing for 100 fans. It's not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to still play a decent level, a decent ground, a decent club, but I didn't want all the full-time hassles. I didn't want it to be my main source of, well, I suppose income really, and also not something I can just say is my be-all and end-all. I wanted something a bit different. I've got some questions on on Huddersfield, really. Uh, just to wrap up, just to wrap that up, um, just just little quick ones. Who was the best player that you got to play with at at town? Uh, best player I got to play with. I enjoy I enjoyed playing with a few, a few players at uh, Huddersfield. Like Danny Schofield always comes up. It just made the game, you know, what I mean, so easy. It was it, it was ridiculous for him. Gary Roberts, Pilkington. You know what I mean, Pilks was a, a great player going into that era with uh, Lee Clark and going through. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say them. But I enjoyed playing with Boothie as well. A lot of people say it. But someone who would do the odd bad kick, the odd bad kick, I might add. You know what I mean? He'd always make things a good one. He always brought people into play, always did something. And this is the back end of his career as well. Uh, there, was, there was some good friends as well as, say, good players there as well. Tell you what, Matt, McGarry Roberts... Uh... I always thought in my mind, maybe he might even go on and play Premier League, but it just, he just liked that little yard, didn't he? Just to kind of get past players, but he could always make stuff happen. I, I absolutely loved him and he's still doing the business now, isn't he? He is, but don't forget, he's a very strong character, Gary, as well. He was a bit like myself. Like, he, he wouldn't suffer fools either. The big fallout with Lee Clark and everything like that, where maybe it, it could have gone differently and things like that. It's, it was, uh, it, I think sometimes he, he'd probably move around a bit quicker than you'd, you'd expect because... You know, I mean, he wanted to play football, and that's what that's what Gary did. He, he played it really well. But as you say, yeah, maybe maybe that yard he looks a lot quicker than he probably was, if that's a, a good way of putting it. Could you tell Pilks were going all the way to the top, Matt, when you were there? Did you expect him to play Premier League when you? Well, yeah, I, I remember because I used to stop all I'd like myself. Uh, so we got talking, and we were, we were doing corners and free kicks. And I always remember playing against Peter Beagre. And Peter Beagre would always you'd line up a wall for a left footer, and he changed to his right foot. And there's no different. You're like, you get. And it's like, it's just ridiculous. And we were doing corners. And Pilk said left foot, right foot. And everyone's just stood there going, I'm sure he's done exactly the same there, left foot and right foot. And obviously he was six foot two. He was quick. You know what I mean? All the assets that uh, that was needed really to make it to the Premier League. And yeah, he worked hard as well. He's had obviously a couple of injuries himself along the way, but he was a good, good player. Do you think some of the younger ones um, were perhaps... Um... I'm thinking the likes of maybe Nathan Clark, uh, Murphy, and Andy Holdsworth. Do you think maybe they were held back a bit by staying at Huddersfield too long, and and maybe they could have gone on and and played at a higher level? I'm thinking like Nathan Clark when Rob Page came in, and they had that combination between the two, and we looked so solid at the back at that point. Do you think maybe a couple of the younger ones stayed a bit too long, and they could have gone on and uh, and played higher? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Nathan Clark. I remember say when Pagey came in, Pagey was an absolute animal. I think we kept about nine clean sheets in about ten games. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was stupid. But yeah, Clarky again, six foot three. You know, what I mean, decent pace. Didn't mind putting his head in there. Hence the amount of scars and stitches he's had along the way, and could play. Maybe, maybe he did stay a couple of years uh, too long. But these lads came through the club from nine, ten years old. They had that bond, and maybe it was a bit, little bit harder. Uh, to move on it would be for someone who'd, who'd come in from the outside uh, yeah definitely Andy Holsworth you know what I mean he, he moved on to Alden with Worthy both of them got injured 
you know what I mean? Alden probably ruined the day that they signed them to because yeah. uh, both of them, I think, were out for about eight, nine months when they when they first went there. Andy Oldsworth, absolute Rolls-Royce of a player, but just didn't quite get to where he could have gone because maybe it was maybe one year, two years longer than they should have done. Uh, that's that's it really for town. Uh, tell us about G twenty seven really. Um, chance to chance to plug it really. It's based up in Emily, isn't it? Um, and and also any tips for people like me who are descending into yetis and wookies, you know, during the lockdown, you know, with hairs. There's a lot of people letting their other halves cut the hair, but there's no way mine's coming near me. Absolutely not. But any no, tips well, for well, any tips for someone like me who's turning into cousin it maybe? There there is. I was a little bit late for my friend at the court today. There's a young man who works at the court, massive town fan. I walked in today and I was like, what have you done? And he's let his mum cut his hair and he's just uh, the rim around there. And I said, what have you done? And yeah, so I actually told him that I was going to slaughter him on this uh, podcast tonight as well. So he'll be listening later on. Do you want to name him? Go, go longer, <laughs> I'd say. Go longer. Don't, don't, either leave it totally, you know what I mean? Leave it totally. Or just, if you're going to clip for it, if you're a number two, go for a four or a five. Just be gentle with it. And that's it, because once you start thinking, oh, I'm going to do like that, you see, you get a little bit of shine on it, a bit of boot polish, and that's it, and you're flying. Well, no, if, you, if, you, if you're a one, or, if you're a one zero blade, all this sort of stuff, don't go anywhere near it, because you'll look like something out of the uh, Three Stooges. I'm only two weeks away from full Jason Davidson, you know, with the top knot and everything. It's, 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 not, know, it's not going well. I've just need Danny Adams, mate. Danny Adams. Yeah. I'm just a pair of Ugg boots away from Jason Davidson at the minute. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, Janino Bakuna, his hair, yes or no? No. <laughs> only, because, only, because, only because he annoys me a little bit as well, to be fair. So, because uh, he's so inconsistent. So, I'd love to know where he gets his colours from because they are bright. He seems to work them out very well. Okay, so it's a good time here to take a break and we'll call that part one. Uh, back in part two, Matt talks about uh, more modern affairs, including his his love hate relationship of Rajiv Van Lepara. So you go on home and you sit in your room and you think, now when and how am I ever going to get away from this? And now you know. Come let your hair down. Tonight we will walk these streets I used to walk them alone Now we will walk together
Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.